Thanks, Pete. <clears throat> well, I need your help today, everyone. What is it that you excel at? It's not a rhetorical question. Anyone? We'll get to that. We'll get to that. I, I tell, <laughs> absolutely. You excel at it too. Not as good. You weren't as good last year when we went there, but that's all right. Uh, anything else? You're a bit bashful, aren't you? Marilyn, you excel, <laughs> excel at sweeping. Okay, okay. Pro- <laughs> procrastinating, Jill, that's right. Extreme lawn bowls. How do you do that? It's extreme. It's extreme. It's not a surprise. I'm. I'm actually not in the slightest bit surprised. I've got it written in my notes here. Uh, I'm not surprised by your bashfulness in all of this. When we ask ourselves whether we excel at certain things, uh, we are not ready to come out with what we excel at, are we? Even though we know we do, whether it's sweeping or procrastinating or in Edith's case, art or Gav's case, running or whatever else it may be for all of us. We all excel at different things. As I mentioned, I'm very good at axe throwing. All that's done though is put uh, me in my place and made everybody want to sign up and beat me in a two weeks time. Because we love that idea, don't we, of, uh, of the tall poppy syndrome in our country. Yet even though we love the tall poppy syndrome we know that there are people that are actually good at things we know that there are people that are actually really good at things not just pretending to be or boastfully doing so like axe throwing but people that are really good at the arts really good in business really good at sports they excel at music they excel in all of these things and if we're honest in our quiet moments we might say to ourselves I do know that I excel in that thing. Well, unlike us, the Corinthian church was very different. Were I to be preaching in the first century Corinthian church, chances are we wouldn't have shut them up with all the things that they were excellent at. They would have uh, jumped off the page at us and told us all of the things they're wonderful at. They would tell regularly of their spiritual gifts, their gifts of grace, You might remember 1 Corinthians is in many ways all about this problem. That the Corinthians thought of themselves very highly. We have a huge amount of spiritual gifts. A huge amount of grace gifts to show off. Now again, as you know, I don't like to throw out the Greek words all that much. But the grace gifts or the spiritual gifts that the Corinthians would boast in were literally the charis gifts. That's what grace is, the word for grace is, charis, which is where we get the idea of charismatic. Charismata is a spiritual or grace gift. And the Corinthians were very spiritually gifted, very charismatic. They were gifted in the gifts of tongues and prophecy and healing and all these other things. All of this, of course, is addressed in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. And the problem for the Corinthian church It was not that they excelled in them, but that they would use those gifts over and above serving others. They would say, I'm excelling in this gift, and so I therefore must use it. But Paul says, no, instead you must excel in the gift with love. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the famous chapter, is all about. 
And here in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, Paul turns now to a different grace gift. And he challenges the Corinthians and puts a real thumb to them and says to them, will you excel in this grace gift? Look at chapter 8 verse 7 of 2 Corinthians. You can hear Paul's tongue firmly implanted in his cheek as he begins this verse. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. You can hear the challenge, can't you? You're good at everything else, Corinthians. Now, excel at this gift of grace. What is the gift of grace that he's talking about here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9? Well, it's the grace gift of financial giving. Many years before, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, those last chapters of Paul's letters where we often ignore what they have to say, Paul says in verses 1 to 4 to the Corinthians that they should once a week put a time aside to collect money in order to help those in need in other places to help them follow Jesus and especially in Jerusalem and he writes here in chapter 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians to say you promised you would do so now you need to follow through you need to excel in the grace of generous giving this morning we're going to take a a quick journey through chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians And we're going to see that nothing has actually changed between the time of Corinth and ourselves. That Paul would say the same words to us. That God would say the same thing to us. That we today are to excel in the grace of generous giving. Don't forget, later on, we're going to have some questions as well. So you can grab your device and uh, ask your questions at slido.com, hashtag HBSP. I'm going to pray and then we've got four points to talk about this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us this morning as we think about uh, financial giving, that you might help us to see what this passage has to say, that we might excel in the grace of generous giving, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As you guys know, I'm a proud graduate of Moore Theological College. It's a great place. I loved being there, and I'm a proud graduate. But I'm also a graduate of YouTube University. Are you a graduate of this? You know how it works. Something needs to be fixed around the home. YouTube will do it. That's how it's done. In our uh, family in the last week, uh, there was uh, a, a new item came into our home, but we didn't quite know what to do with it. Nobody quite knew how to fix it. And so one of the kids straight away said to me, Dad, don't worry, there'll be 100 YouTube videos on this. And there was. Easy to fix. Now, if you've ever done this before, you pull up the video on YouTube and you watch someone do it before your eyes and then you follow their pattern, pausing along the way every single step to to make it work. Graduates of YouTube University. Anyone else with me? You're a graduate? Yeah, a few graduates, a few keen graduates as well. Well, Paul says to the Corinthians, I want to take you to this example. Not quite YouTube University, but I want to show you the example nonetheless, the example of generous giving look at chapter 8 verses 1 to 5 we want you to know brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia for in a severe test of affliction their abundance of joy 
and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Paul says in verses 1 to 5, here's an example for you to follow, for you to pause the video along the way and to see what the Macedonian church is like. The Macedonian church uh, are the churches that we know in the scriptures of the church of Philippi, the church of Thessalonica, the church of Berea. They together make up the churches of Macedonia. And compared to the city of Corinth, they were very poor. Very poor and under heavy persecution. As you read the book of Acts, you find out that particularly in Thessalonica, there was a lot of problems there when the gospel came to that city. And so Paul says, the Macedonians are an example to you rich Corinthians of what you should do with your money. And he gives them five ways that they should find an example in the Macedonians. And we see them in this passage. The first is that they are to be sacrificial. You notice in verse 2, they and the Macedonians were in great affliction and poverty. And yet in the midst of their great affliction and poverty, they gave financially in a reckless, sacrificial way. I wonder, could your financial giving be described as reckless and sacrificial? Reckless and sacrificial. It's a challenge, isn't it? The example held up before the Corinthians was the example of reckless, sacrificial giving from the Macedonian church. We're not like that at all. We're careful and thoughtful and just a bit less reckless than them. We often think to ourselves, I can afford to be reckless and sacrificial when I no longer have a part-time job but a full-time job. Or when I've finished paying off the house. Or when the kids are out of the house. Or whenever the next step in life is. But the Macedonian example is saying, we must be sacrificial. In the severe test of affliction, abundance of joy and extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Here's the first example from the Macedonian church. Secondly, Paul says they were cheerful. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? But in the midst of their affliction and their poverty, they're also described as having an abundance of joy. Did you notice there in verse 2? An abundance of joy. It's what Paul describes in chapter 9, the next chapter, chapter 9, verse 7, that God loves a cheerful giver. Again, would your giving be described as cheerful? joyful even when it hurts this is the example of the macedonian church to the corinthians and to to us thirdly the macedonians gave willingly we're told in chapter 8 verse 3 that they gave of their own free will that is to say no one was twisting their arm behind about how much they should give now we need to be careful here or at least I do, I'm not sure what you are like. 
But sometimes when I read this verse, I think to myself, oh, well, that means I have to feel like I want to give. But that's not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying that we don't, is that we uh, don't always have to feel like it or don't always enjoy it when we feel the pinch of giving generously. All he is saying is that this wasn't done under coercion from somebody else twisting their arm behind their back. They gave willingly out of their own free will. Again, as chapter 9 verse 7 says, each one must give as he is made up in his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Sacrificial, cheerful, willingly. Fourthly, they were generous. The definition of generosity, of course, is to go over and above what what might be expected or what might be thought. And if you look together at this passage, you notice the generosity they have. Look again at verse 2. They didn't just have generosity, but they overflowed in a wealth of generosity. They're amazing words, aren't they? Not just generous, but overflowing in a wealth of generosity. Again, I ask myself the question and I ask you the same question. Could this be described of your giving? That you give in such a way that is overflowing with a wealth of generosity. This is what the Macedonians did in the midst of their poverty. And then finally, they were committed to their giving. They were regular. Paul wrote because the Corinthian church had made a promise and not kept it in chapter 8. And he wrote wrote in the previous letter, chapter 16, verse 1, that they ought to give in a regular way. That they collect money week by week. And they had not delivered on their promise. But the Macedonians, on the other hand, were all too ready to deliver on their promise. They were committed to it. Regular in the way that they did it. And so Paul holds up an example of the Macedonian church and their giving to the Corinthians and lays down the challenge before them to say, will you be like these guys who were sacrificial, cheerful, willingly giving generously in a committed and regular way? It's a challenge, isn't it? I think if any of us are here today and not challenged by the words that we hear from the Apostle Paul, then we haven't opened our minds to the Word of God, that we would excel in the grace of generous giving. To be like the Macedonians is a strong challenge to each and every one of us. But Paul wants to say, the Christian life is supposed to look this way. It's supposed to look generous. It's supposed to look outward. The Corinthians were stingy, but the Macedonians generous. And we must ask ourselves the question, who are we? In my own personal life, am I a generous giver? Am I excelling in the grace of generous giving? And am I taking on the example of the Macedonians? Now, oftentimes, of course, when people think about giving in the context of the church, they often bring up the Old Testament rule, the tithe the 10% that you may have heard about before. And that's a a good thing to think about, but it's not a New Testament example. Neither was it something the Macedonians had thought about at all. The the Macedonians were far more generous than 10%. In fact, Paul says in verse 5, they gave of themselves first to the Lord and then then, uh, by the will of God 
to us. Here is the YouTube video put before you. And we can stop the YouTube video five times and see five qualities of the Macedonian church that we are to copy. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard for us to hear this. And it's hard for us to hear this for all sorts of reasons. It's hard for us because, as the phrase is often said, the last part of a Christian to be converted is their wallet. Not only that, we tend to think of our own selves as generous in as far as our liquid assets allow us to do so. So if I don't have a lot of throwaway cash, then I can't be generous. But Paul wants us to think not of our throwaway cash, but what we have in every way. And to be generous, not after all the bills are paid, but at the very start, at the very start of our Christian life. This is not the only YouTube video that Paul puts up for us, though. In verse 9, he's got an even greater example for us. Look at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Here is the ultimate example put before us, the ultimate YouTube video put before us. Jesus who owned everything, the maker of everything, the ruler of everything. He became poor, by which Paul means he took on human flesh and went to a cross to die for each and every one of us that we might become rich and share as heirs with Christ all of the riches of heaven together with him. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. Jesus is the model of our generosity. He is the reason why we give generously. And so here in verses 1 to 9, we have an example of generous giving. Isn't an example you've taken to heart? Is generosity and excelling in the grace of of, of, uh, generous giving a part of your life? Because it is at the heart of the Christian faith that Jesus would be generous unto death for us, gives us a model to live in our life in every part, financial as well as every other part of our lives. We're to live generous lives, for Jesus was generous with us. This is the example of generous giving. But it's not the only thing Paul has to say about generous giving in this passage. Secondly, he talks in this passage about the integrity of generous giving. See, it's important that when you uh, take your wallet and give to something, you don't just give to anything. We all know, don't we, that finances can be deadly to the integrity of a person. You might have read the story in October of last year. A prominent bank, who I won't mention, uh, had $3.5 million stolen from them by one of their staff. One of their staff had been siphoning off little bits of money here and there into their own bank, own bank account, totaling over the years $3.5 million. Now, I know for a fact that this has been going on for years. It gets harder as the, the more digital banking takes shape, but it's still possible. When people handle money, all sorts of things can go wrong. 
It's important, therefore, that money is handled with integrity. And this is the integrity of generous giving. In verses 16 to 24 of this chapter, Paul outlines how the money that would be raised by the Corinthian church needs to be handled with great integrity. The money would be given to a range of trusted people who Paul lists in this, in this section, verses 16 to 24. Trusted people who are able to administer this gift well. Look at verse 20 of chapter 8. Paul says, we take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honourable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. The goal, as they handle the money given by the Corinthians and by other churches for that matter, is to honour God. That as the giving takes place, as the receiving takes place, and in the middle as the administration takes place, that in every way it is above reproach before God and before people. Paul says it's important that you give in this way. This is the integrity of generous giving. I want to encourage you to make sure that when you give generously, that you give to places of integrity. Places where there are checks and balances. Places where there are good systems in place to administer the money that is given. Now I'm thankful to God for the way money is looked after in our own church. You might not know, but I, I have a general, uh, general goal of handling no money in our church at all. If someone gives me some money, I, I try to give it straight away to somebody else uh, and get away from it. I don't know who gives what in our church family. Wouldn't have a clue. I know the final numbers, but I don't know who gives what. There are other people, the wardens in particular, who set up our systems and make sure that they're done with integrity in our church family. And if you want to know more about those systems, there are open, transparent systems for you to know about. You can see all our policies in our church email each and every week about how we run it. Not only that, you can see in our own church family where every single dollar is spent. You can see my, what my wage is and what the rest of the staff's wages are. You can know exactly where your generous gifts go. And according to Paul and according to God, this is what we ought to expect. That there is an integrity tied up with generous giving. When you give to the church or to mission organisations, you ought to expect that there is an integrity around generous giving because it's about honouring God. Well, thirdly, we come to the reasons for generous giving. Come back with me just a couple of pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. Just a couple of pages back in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. Here is the initial command that Paul gave to the Corinthians. Look at what he says there, verse 1, chapter 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, you are to, uh, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. 
Paul says here, you're to collect for the saints and particularly for the work of the saints in Jerusalem. But it raises the question for us in various different ways. What is this collection for the saints? Now, chapter 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians don't give us a straightforward answer. Presumably the Corinthians knew. But as we open up Paul's letters in various ways, we can see what Paul suggests we do give to. And we see it in three different areas across his various letters. First of all, the Christian is to give generously to support the Christian teacher. I understand as I stand here that this is somewhat self-serving on my part. So let me share with you the scriptures that make this clear. You'll see them on the screen. Uh, First one is Galatians chapter 6 verse 6. Sorry, that's a bit small, but there we are. Uh, Galatians 6 verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. He goes on to say in another, another one of his letters in 1 Timothy 5, let the elders who rule well be considered of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. And then finally, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, Paul says this about himself. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything uh, rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. This is the first way that our generous giving should be shared to support the Christian teacher. But it's not the only way. Secondly, we see that we're to support in our generous giving the sent Christian teacher or what we might call the missionary. This is a very important thing for the church over the years. What does it mean to support a missionary? Well, the trait of the Christian church has always been to get the message and to send it on to the next town or the next city or, in our case, the next country. There's all sorts of places where the gospel has yet to take hold. And so we set apart and send out and support financially those who will take the gospel to these places until they can support a church of their own. This is what it means to support the sent Christian teacher. Thirdly, we support the poor. Galatians chapter 2 makes it really clear that when uh, Paul and the other apostles were uh, in debate about whether Paul should go to the, uh, the, the Gentiles or not, when he was given permission to speak the gospel to the Gentiles, the other apostles said, please, be, uh, please remember the poor. And Paul says, I was eager to do this from the beginning. And it's likely here, although not set in stone, that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, the collection that was taken for Jerusalem was likely for the Christians in Jerusalem who were undergoing famine in around about 46 AD and in the years following. It's the expectation that these funds raised by the Corinthians would help the Christians in need in Jerusalem. And so here are the things that the generous Christian gives to. The Christian teacher the sent Christian teacher and the poor, particularly the Christian poor. And it's the expectation, according to the Apostle, that we as Christians fund this 
work. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a church family that will have fundraising nights for those sorts of causes or run chocolate drives for the bottom line of the church budget or run cake stalls in order to raise money to pay different staff members in the church. According to the scriptures, these are not in. No, the way we fund these things is through the generosity of the Christian brothers and sisters. And especially that we would prioritise these things for the Christian brothers and sisters. In large part, the Christian brothers and sisters are the, are the only ones who are going to want to desire to share the gospel with others. And so these are, the, these, this are, these are things that the world is not going to want to support. It's important for us to share our generous gifts for the Christian teacher, for the sent Christian teacher, and especially for the Christian poor. I want to encourage you to think about when you give, are these the areas that you give to? There are so many charities in our modern world, many of them very, very good. But many of the charities that our world has will be supported by the world. My encouragement to you is to support those who will not be supported by the world, who are taking on mission across the world, who are taking on ministry in our own part of the world, and who are supporting the Christian poor, especially across the world. And while we're here, it's important to recognise that while these are the three major areas to give to, I want to encourage you not to get your mind around the wrong way on this issue. Oftentimes when we talk about this sort of stuff uh, in church and we talk about our finances, we often say to ourselves and we rationalise it by saying, I don't have the ability to give financially, but I'll give of my time or I'll give of my efforts or I'll give of my energy. And the Apostle Paul, I think, would say to us all, we're to give generously of all of those things as well. But it's important for us not to move past what Paul is saying here about financial giving. He wants us to excel in the grace of generous giving and he wants you to excel in the grace of generous giving. Fourthly, this passage teaches us the benefits of generous giving. There are at least three in this passage that we see here. Look at chapter 9 verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and, who also, uh, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever." He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. 
Three benefits of generous giving. First of all, we will reap righteousness. You may have heard before verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Give lots and you'll get lots back. You might have heard that before. It's a prosperity doctrine and it's, well, it's wrong. Why is it wrong? Well, it's wrong of the context of this passage. There's no sense in the Macedonian experience that they were expecting to get rich because they gave to the claims of Christ. Neither does the, uh, neither does the future context give any such promise. Paul says in chapter 9, verse, uh, second half of verse 10, that well, he will increase the harvest of your righteousness. Not the harvest of your money. You won't end up with more money in your bank account because you give, but you will end up with a harvest of righteousness. How does this work? Well, as we operate in generosity more and more, we'll be able to see better the generosity of Jesus. And we'll be able to revel better in what he has done for us. And we'll be able to see the righteousness clearer that he has given to us. Not only that, as we give to the Christian teacher and the Christian teachers overseas and so on, we will see others understand the righteousness of Christ. This is how we will have and reap a harvest of righteousness. Second benefit, sufficiency. Paul says in verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. The answer is sufficiency for what? Well, for generosity. See, Paul is saying here that the Christian is always able to be generous. It's not a promise that God will put more in your bank account. But it is a promise that when you are generous, you will learn to realize that you are okay in the end. God looked after you. And you're in a better position to be even more generous the next time around. It's easier to be generous when you've been generous previously. It's like steps on a ladder. And generosity, as we've already said, is at the heart of the gospel. Not only this, as verse 10 tells us, God promises to provide for his people. Matthew 6 says this, doesn't it? Don't be anxious about what you have or what you eat or what you wear. God knows what you need. We know in our own world that we think to ourselves, God loves a reluctant, careful and thoughtful giver. But this passage says the opposite. God loves a reckless and generous giver. Or as it put, he puts it in verse, eight, as verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver. There's no better time to be generous than right now. God has always made you sufficient for the task of generosity. I only have a part-time job. I've got lots of money tied up in my house. I've got lots of money tied up in X, Y, and Z, other thing. It's always the time to excel in the grace of generous giving, and God will be sufficient to help you in that task. Finally, the final benefit is that thanksgiving and glory come to God. Verses 11 to 13 make this really clear. As we are generous, the, sh- the gospel shines through us. The message that Jesus, who came to those who were dead in sin, leaving the riches of heaven to come and die for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, begins to shine through as we show in just a small way our generosity 
to others as well. Here are the benefits. And so Paul says in these two chapters, I want you to excel in the grace of generous giving. I might be really good at axe throwing, but I do not excel at this. Do you excel at the grace of generous giving? What do you need to do in order to make sure that you will excel in the grace of generous giving? Is it seeing the example of the Macedonians? Is it seeing the example of Jesus? Is it changing the pattern that you have of life with your own finances? Is it changing where you give to give for more biblical causes rather than secular causes? Is it to find a stinging point in your giving in order that you might see yourself giving sacrificially or to perhaps plan to give or start to give or to see the benefits of giving or, heaven forbid, would you consider selling your house so that you had more liquid assets and a smaller house to live in? These are big questions for us because compared to Jesus, all of our generosity is meagre and we can always do more. Notice I haven't said this morning in any way This is the bill you must pay or the percentage you must give. It's not under compulsion. It's a free decision of your heart. And Paul says in chapter 9, verses 7 and 8, each one must give as he's made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. May we as the people of God here, excel in the grace of generous giving. I'm going to give us a moment to reflect because that's uh, challenging stuff from the Apostle and you might find it challenging as well and you might want to ask a clarifying question. So I'm going to give you a minute or two to do that and then I'm going to come back and answer a couple of questions as well. Thanks for asking a couple of questions. There's there's a few there already and uh, no surprises about any of that. Let's start with this one. Isn't this passage about giving to brothers and sisters in need rather than to the church generally or to the sent teacher? 8499 and 912. Uh, Yes, but only possibly. Um, So it's not immediately clear that that's uh, the context and it's not immediately clear that that's the context of 1 Corinthians 16 1 to 4 either it's likely as I mentioned that it's in relation to the giving for uh, the uh, the uh, 
uh, famine that had happened in Jerusalem, but that's not a thousand percent sure. We don't know that uh, definitely. And so I didn't want to just focus on that particular area, but open us up for a moment. And if you like, take a step out of the passage for a moment and think about Paul's concern about giving generally. A, a way around this as well is to think everybody is, it's almost a requirement of life these days, whether you work in a corporation, a company or anything, to have a social conscience of some sort, isn't it? You have to do that. That's, that's what you have to do. And I want to encourage you to think about that social conscience perhaps differently to the world around us and the way we think. We want to give to charities and all that sort of stuff. That's a really good thing to do. But I want to encourage you to think about giving to those charities that perhaps nobody else would give to because they're of Christian causes. Because if you think about it, only the Christian is going to give to the Christian cause uh, and no one else. No one else is going to give to that. Uh, other people might give to other causes, but, uh, but only the Christian will give to that. So that was a bit of a step up out of the passage in some ways. As to whether those verses uh, give away definitely that it was to the, those in need, uh, it's likely it was, uh, but uh, not guaranteed from the passage. I can talk about that later on if you like. 1 Corinthians 9, 13 to 14, the passage you showed regarding paying gospel ministers. Can you unpack these a bit more? Uh, that was my bashfulness too. I don't really want to unpack that a little bit more. It's, it's self-serving to do that. Um, but I think, uh, I, I think that's a reality. Uh, as I've said to you before, you don't pay a gospel minister. All you do is you say there's one member of our church, or in this case a couple of members of our church, that we say we want them to do the ministry that we all should be doing all the time, but we want them to have more time to do it. So we won't pay them to do a job. That's a bad way of thinking about a minister. We just set them aside and we give them some money so that they don't have to do another job. That's the way to think about it. It's a big difference because if you uh, ask a minister, and I, I say this, uh, this is always self-serving, I understand that I'm going to be here for a while. I hope that's God's plan. I hope that's the case. But I want to prepare you for any other minister you have in the future too. You're not paying a minister to do a job. That's a bad way of thinking about it. Because then you just have lists of tasks that they must do. We're all set apart to serve Christ together. And then you set apart a particular person or a particular couple of people to do that on a more full-time capacity. There's a big difference between the two. I think that's what uh, 1 Corinthians 9 is trying to say. Uh, there's much more we could say but that's all next one if the cake stall and chocolate drive are out how do the sausage sizzle and coffee cart fit as means for generating funds for the church and mission great question we did this deliberately we didn't want to we didn't want to raise money for our church's organization so this morning when you get a coffee outside any extra money will go to the building fund perfectly happy with that that's fine but once we're getting money from the community we don't want to pay for our own ministries so it was deliberately for the afghan refugees something that the, uh, the community could get behind and support uh, but we weren't asking them to give to pay for me to tell them about jesus that makes no sense and we didn't want to do that uh, and uh, so, uh, that was the case plus that was secondary anyway the main thing for having the chocolate uh, the, the coffee stall and the sausage sizzle there yesterday was so that people like me could flit around and talk to people that's that's the 100 percent reason why we did it to let people know about our church rather than the sausage i could care less about the sausage even though it was nice thank you it was really good i had a couple uh last one is it wrong or problematic to give christian organizations that are discreet in their proclamation of the gospel i.e they focus on social justice uh no not at all that would be a good thing to do uh, i would think you need to check that it's done with integrity and and it's important as well um, I, I think there's a priority to, in the scriptures for Christian people to care, first of all, about the Christian poor. I actually think that to, to care about the household of God is actually the important distinction about what the Christians do, loving one another. I think it's actually important that we love one another, but this sounds bad, but I think you understand what I mean. 
love one another before we love the world in that way and caring for the poor in that way. And so I think that's an important distinction. So I'd want to encourage you to give in that way. But, uh, but of course, uh, I think uh, uh, giving to any poor would be a good thing to do as well. I'm going to pray and then Matt's got some things to talk to us about. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us in this passage. It challenges us in all sorts of ways that uh, perhaps we don't get challenged about regularly. We ask, please, that uh, you would help us to consider to, uh, keep considering these things uh, so, that, uh, so that we uh, might honour you in all we do and that we might excel in the grace of generous giving. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.